Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Joshua chapter 6. Hold those Bibles up in the air. I'm going to hold my iPad up in the air. I want you to repeat these words after me as it is my custom to declare over our hearts and over our minds before the reading of his word. I want you to repeat this. Say, this is the infallible, undisputed, and inerrant word of God. Today, as I open up my heart, mind, spirit, and soul to receive from its truths, God, I thank you that fruit will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life in the name above every name, Jesus. Amen. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, then I'm going to head south to verse 20. I'm going to begin reading. It's in the New King James Version. I want you to take note as I read this portion of Scripture. I want you to underline. I want you to put a focal point when it states about the Ark of the Covenant. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in and none went out. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, everybody say, See. See, I've given you Jericho. I put it into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once, and this you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear the trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Everybody say, before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Everybody shout. Oh, come on, that was pitiful. One, two, three, shout. There you go. And they shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to him, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests and seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to them, people proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. And verse 20 says this, so the people shouted, when the priest blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat then the people went up into the city every man straight before him and they took the city first of all i want to talk about what the ark of the covenant was it was a large chest about six feet in length and it had the broken tablets namely the the tablets that Moses constructed with a hammer and a chisel. It was called the Ten Commandments. And according to the Hebrew Bible, 
This was constructed by the Israelites as they were camping in the Sinai Desert when they fled from Egypt. And they brought this Ark of the Covenant wherever they would basically pitch their tents. What did it contain? As I just mentioned before, it contained the tablets. It also contained a golden bowl with manna that God had fed the children of Israel with. When they were in the desert, he sent them quail. He sent them manna to sustain them. It also contained, um, it looked like a reed. It was a, it was a rod that budded that was Aaron's uh, rod. And what was it used for? One of the most important things that it was used for, it was placed inside what we call the tent of meeting. Everybody say the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. It was like a tent that they constructed and there was, uh, it was comprised of three different areas. Uh, one of the areas was the outer court. It was like a church, a portable tent, if you will. Had the outer court, had the inner court. And of course, on the inside, it had what you would call the holy of holies. And this is where the ark of the covenant dwelt. And every year, the priest would go in. He was only allowed in. The priest was the only one allowed in. And once a year, he would go in and he would sprinkle blood on the altar. For the priest's sins, they would sprinkle blood of, a, of an ox. And for the people's sins, uh, he would slay a goat and drip, you know, pour blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which would be called the mercy seat. And it simply looked like uh, uh, this golden box with angels' wings covering it. Two cherubim, the Bible says. And then, of course, you had all the elements inside, the sacramental elements inside, and it was overlaid with gold. It was solid gold. One of the most important things about this ark was not what dwelt in it, but what dwelt upon it. And that was the very presence of God. The Bible says that even from a distance, when you would look at the tent of meeting when it was constructed, just above the Holy of Holies, a pillar of fire was stretching from heaven to earth. It's where the Shekinah glory fell. Sometimes the presence would be so strong and the Holy of Holies, the priests couldn't even conduct their normal sacraments. I don't know about you, but it's been a long time and it's high time that we step into a service and we sense God's presence like that. But this is what the Ark of the Covenant represented. And that's why it was so important is because back then God's presence was important to the people. And I believe that we're in a time and day when the presence of God is more important than ever. It's, it's so important that we get just beyond our religious rhetoric and our religious routines and going through the motions and going to church and lifting our hands and singing songs that we can remember with our mouths but we don't really have in our hearts because that's God's ultimate goal is not to get things into our head but into our hearts and begin to live out what we sing about not just rehearse what we sing about come on somebody say amen, amen. last week I was preaching a message now normally we preach Christer messages on Easter you don't know what Christers means it's where the Christians and the Easterns show up. It's two times a year. But the Lord put on my heart to preach a different message last week. And it was out of Matthew chapter 25. And it was about Jesus and the veil being rent from top to bottom. And to give you a quick recap, there's four things that happen 
in those verses, uh, it says that when Jesus was crucified, darkness covered the earth and the earth began to shake, number two. And number, number three, it says the dead in Christ awoken from their sleep, meaning Christians who are alive going in church, but they're suddenly awakened. And then, of course, uh, the centurions that are standing by Jesus, they come to the knowledge of the truth. They said, truly, this is the Son of God. And so last week, I preached a message called the signs of revival. And if you look all around you in the nations of the world right now, there are signs of revival that are dropping and that we are really close, guys. The guys in the Old Testament, Old and New Testament said they were living in the last days. Certainly if they were living in the last days, we're living in the last moments, as I heard a man of God recently say. But today I'm going to take a different turn on Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to tie it into the previous verses that I read in Joshua chapter 6 about the Ark of the Covenant. But throughout this week, I was sitting in my study, sitting in my office, and I felt like the Lord said, you missed something in Matthew chapter 25. Because when I was reading it last week, I breezed over the part that says that when Jesus was crucified and darkness fell over the earth, the, the veil was ripped from top to bottom. That veil simply was that cloth wall, a very thick cloth wall that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer court. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. And so when Jesus died, it says that veil was written top to bottom. Now how most of us interpret that is that Jesus made a way for us to have direct access to God the Father and we no longer have to go to a priest. Come on, all the Catholics say amen. We no longer have to go to a priest to get forgiveness of sins. We have direct access to God the Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But I felt the Lord hit the brakes on me and say, you still miss something even still. And I said, what is that, Lord? He said, during the time that Jesus was crucified, that's what the Holy Spirit was sharing with me, when that veil was ripped top to bottom, it doesn't state this in the scripture, but due to history, I found out that there was no presence in the Holy of Holies. There was no Ark of the Covenant. As a matter of fact, in 586 BC, before Christ, that tabernacle, that Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Babylonians. And so I begin to get me thinking that for 500 plus years, they were going through the motions. They were going through their religious rhetoric. They were going through their sacraments. They were having services. They were having praise and worship. They were singing songs and saying glory to God on the highest. But they were praising God with their mouths, but their hearts were far from Him. How many know what that word Ichabod means? It means the glory has departed from the building. And I believe that we're entering into an age where God's glory is about to dwell upon the church once again. And we're not going to have to rely on a sermon and rely on just four, you know, song selections. But we're going to see the manifested presence of God moving in our services once again. I believe that when they wheel people in with the wheelchair, they're going to get out of the wheelchair. I believe that when the lost hear the word of God, there's going to be a revival that happens in their hearts. When you walk into a service, you're going to feel the tangible presence and glory of God. And can I tell you, church, until we get desperate for the authentic, we will always settle for the old. 
And so this morning, I want to preach a message entitled, Bringing Back the Ark. Bringing Back the Ark. The first point I want to make is we have to stop settling for religion. We have to take real over religion. How many are ready for something real and authentic? How many are tired of going through the motions? And so as I said before, for 500 years, they were going before the motions. And I wonder how long they were going through these motions before they discovered that Jesus or the presence of God was no longer there. I fear as a church and even in my own life, I've had to examine. I think any man of God should never settle for just going through the motions. There is no man of God that I believe who stands in a pulpit every Sunday morning or any itinerant preacher or evangelist for that matter that shouldn't question whether or not they are carriers of this ark because it is a precious thing to carry the word of God and we should never ever take it lightly. But just as a, as a, as a child of God who attends church, you should never ever settle for just a message. We should never settle for just going through the motions. We should contend for his presence because the Bible says if we would seek him diligently, we would find him. So what does that mean? If we are not diligent in our seeking Jesus, we won't find him. All we'll find is church and pews and songs and going through the motions, but there will be no real transformation in our lives. How many want real transformation? My Christian experience certainly early on didn't, didn't consist of me running to the altar and giving my heart to Christ, although there is nothing wrong with that. That is the story of the majority. The Lord really knew he had to get a hold of me. He knew I had to encounter him in an authentic way. And so 18 years ago, as the Lord showed up to me, I didn't see him in a physical form, but I heard him in almost an audible form. When he told me when I was living in sin, he said, son, choose this day whom you're going to serve. I remember the next day, nobody had to lay their hands on me. Nobody had to prophesy over me. Nobody led me through the sinner's prayer. But I knew I woke up a free man. Everything that I had lived prior to that, it no longer had a hold on my life. I was no longer bound by shackles and chains. And I knew I had an experience with God that would forever change my life. And here I am 18 years later living a free man. Why do I say that? Is my relationship with Jesus didn't start off in just a church service. It started off with something authentic. It started off with something real. And so I've been on this crusade, if you will, and I've never been able to find rest in my heart unless the presence of God shows up actively in my life. I, I, I am ruined in a, in a way. I, I am ruined by his presence. I'm ruined by this previous experience that I've had with him. Because if I know if he did it then, he can still do it now. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And if he did it for friends that you have, he can do it for you. Amen. And so never settle for religion. Always go after the real. Somebody say, go after the real. And so for the next 10 years of my life, I would spend Friday nights with a, what would become a friend of mine and a mentor of mine. He's still preaching the gospel to this day. I've seen him last weekend. Every Friday night, we would worship the Lord from 7 to almost 11 p.m. at night. 
And so for a decade straight, you would walk into these services and without anyone having to tell you to lay on your face prostrate or without anyone directing you, your knees would begin to buckle from underneath you. There was no preaching, although I love preaching, hence we're preaching this morning. I love messages, but it was there was no messages. There was just an authentic expression of worship and there was like a cloud of glory that filled the place and you would end up on your face for hours and you would get up and look at your time and your watch and you would say, where did the time go? But this is where true change and transformation took. And, and it didn't take real, you know, it didn't take fog lights, although I'm okay with fog lights. I'm okay with the ambiances and the lights, and I'm okay with the cameras, but they're never a replacement. Muffins and coffee are no replacements for the glory of God, not for a true, authentic expression of His presence. And that's what we're after here at Ascension, and that's what I'm after at in my own life. And I hope that you are after it too. I hope you are done with settling. Today is going to be a strong message, but today is a challenge to you not to settle for anything less than God's best for your life. I've been walking with the Lord 18 years, and it seems like I said, Lord, am I just, am I being a religious zealot that I'm after this, Lord? Am I, am I being unreasonable? And I felt like the Lord tell me exactly what he taught, told John Kilpatrick, who was the, the pastor of the Brownsville Revival. How many have heard of the Brownsville Revival? He said, son, this thing that you're feeling in your heart is from me. Keep pursuing me and you'll find me. And so as of late for the past several months, without no real reason to, reason to weep and cry and lament, my pillow, when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, I, I almost wake up with it soaked and I'm swimming in my pillow. And it's not because anything is going wrong in my life, but I think there's something right going on in my life. I think there's something that God is stirring in my own heart. And I pray that throughout this message, he stirs your heart to, to, to a righteous pursuit, like, like a holy indignation, a holy jealousy. I pray is provoked in you to go after the things of God like you never have before so that you too could see his presence at work in every area of your life. If the presence of God is real and it's authentic, it will spread beyond a church service. It will spread into your cubicle at work. It will spread into your marriage. Come on, somebody say amen to that. It will spread into your finances, into every sphere of influence in your life. And that's my prayer for you. And God wants us to be very dependent on his presence. He doesn't want us to be passive about it. Say dependent. And Joshua got this revelation when I'm reading Joshua chapter 6. It says, if you, if you, if you were listening when I was reading it, it, it said he bore the Ark of the Covenant three or four times in these verses. If you look at those verses. Because Joshua got a revelation that he wasn't going to win the war or the battle unless the presence of God went with him. There are certain things in your life you're not going to win the battle in those areas of your life unless the presence of the Lord is with you. And some of us think that God only wants to meet us at church. Friend, can I tell you that God wants to meet you in your house when you're folding your clothes or you're vacuuming. He wants to be with you when you're doing mundane things in your home and in your workplace and while you're running your business. He wants to be with you every moment. He wants his tangible presence to be with you. And the Bible says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said he is his, your ever-present help 
not only in time of trouble, but when you're going through the motions of life, he wants his presence to assist you in every aspect. Our problem is as people is we sometimes think that God only wants something to do with the sacred and not the secular. But can I tell you that God wants to be with you even in the secular world. When you're out in the world, he wants you to be a beaming light who is filled with his presence, filled with his glory, filled with his passion. Why? So that people can see Christ in you. If they don't see Jesus in you, they may never ever have an encounter with him at all. So we are called to be carriers of this ark, of his presence. Somebody lift your hands and say, I'm a carrier. I'm a carrier of his presence. And he wants you to be dependent on him, not independent. He wants you to rely on his presence. There are some things that we can only do with God's assistance. Sure, you can pay your bills. Sure, you can get by. Sure, you can live life. But with his presence, you can do much more resting in him while his presence is in you than you can in your own abilities and in your own efforts. And Joshua got this revelation. And the reason he won the war is because he invited the ark into his life. Look at somebody and say, invite the ark. Come on, if somebody else is right next to you, come on, look to your right. Say, invite the ark. Invite the presence of the Lord. David got this. I fully believe because the Bible says that he was a young man and he took his sling and he goes to fight Goliath. I fully believe that the only reason David won the fight with Goliath is because the presence of the Lord was with him. And can I believe, I know it doesn't say it in the Bible, but I believe the presence of the Lord was like a wind behind the rock when he threw it at Goliath. Come on, God wants to get behind the mundane things, the things that you've discounted and said, God doesn't want anything to do with that. That's up to me to handle. But can I tell you, God wants to be behind every single thing you do in life. Why? Because we are more effective when we are filled with his presence. Hallelujah. While the children of Israel, they were led. Somebody say led. They were led in the wilderness. For 40 years they wandered. But can I tell you, the Bible says the the, the presence of the Lord led them. And and by day they were a cloud. We need a cloud today. (laughs) We need a good cloud. It says, during the day they were led by a cloud. And by night they were led by a pillar of fire. Thank you. And can I tell you that that's exactly what God wants to be in your life? Even in the night seasons, even in the dark seasons of your life, he wants to be your pillar of light. He wants to be the presence that carries you through the dark hours, through the midnight hours of your life. And he also wants to be the God when you're on your mountaintops in the light hours of your life. When things are going, you know, when you're going through the motions, when things don't seem to be, you know, in an uproar in your life. God wants to be that in every area of your life, in the light hour and in the midnight hour. He wants us to invite him in every single area and God is wanting to reveal himself but you know what he's waiting for he's waiting for us to stop settling for less than his best you know what I believe that God didn't create this COVID-19 I don't believe that but I believe that God can use it I believe that he can use it to shake the church as I spoke about a few weeks ago. I believe he can get us to begin to begin to think about and, and, and reconstruct some things and rebuild. And that's exactly what happened in Jerusalem is they got the revelation when that veil got ripped from top to bottom and those rocks broke. Guess what they had to do? They had to begin to rebuild. 
And God will often allow things in your life to deconstruct and break so that we don't build the same things, but he gets to build his way. And I believe that's exactly what's happening to the church right now to the church at large. God has allowed some shaking. He's allowed some rocks to break. He's allowed us to to go through this season of great shaking so that he can rebuild his church. He can rebuild his people his way. Somebody say, have your way. Have your way, Lord. In Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29, it says, and you will seek me as I quoted before, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Listen to what the Message Bible says. And when you come looking for me, you will find me. Yes, when you get serious. Don't look at somebody and say, get serious about this thing. Get serious about seeking me. You will find me. And when you want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. You know you have a God who doesn't want to disappoint you? Do you know you have a God who wants to answer the prayers that you've been praying? Do you know that you have a God who wants to walk lock, step, and barrel with you in every aspect of your life? He doesn't just want to be present. We talk about God being present, and yes, he's everywhere. That's what omniscient means. He mean, That means he's everywhere, excuse me, omnipresent means he's everywhere all at one time simultaneously. But he wants to be much closer than that. And that's why God sent his son Jesus, because he didn't want distance between us any longer. He wanted to take a step closer. He wanted to be intimate. He wanted to be in close relationship with us. That's what the word intimacy means. Into me, you can see. But he doesn't want you to just see into him. He wants to see into you. And that's how close of a relationship he wants with you and with me. And thirdly, I want to talk about the power of presence. Somebody say power of presence. The presence of God dwelt so heavily in the holy of holies that they would take a rope and they would tie it around the priest's waist and he would have pomegranates. I don't know why there were pomegranates. I've been wondering that myself. But there were bells in between each pomegranate. And so when that priest would make his way in on the day of atonement for the remission of sins, you could hear the bells and you could hear him going into the holy of holies, but no one could go in there with him. But these priests were deadly afraid because if they had any sin on their life, history tells us that if they had any hidden sin on their lives, they would die in the presence of God. That's power. And so if if that priest would go in there and and, and perform these ceremonies in in an ungodly way or mess up or he had sin on his life, what they would have to do from the outer court, they would pull him by the rope and they would pull him out of God's presence. I often wonder, wonder why to myself if the reason people don't want to get so close to God is because they're afraid of him. It's because they, they, they fear the things that they have to give up and they have to release in their lives. But can I tell you that you have a God who wants to be close to you, that you have a God that, that, that is not repelled by your weaknesses nor your sins. As a matter of fact, they attract him. Because the Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the broken, right? And so God draws upon us. He, he is our strength in our weakness. And so a lot of people, I believe, is the reason that they keep God at a a distance and that their their relationship with him doesn't exceed nor grow beyond a Sunday morning expression is because they're afraid to be close to him. But God 
wants to be close to each and every one of us in a very profound, intimate, and deep way. He wants us to come boldly before the throne of grace like the Bible says. Why? To be rejuvenated by his presence. To be strengthened by his presence. To be invigorated with his presence. And his presence empowers you to walk in victory into every area of your life. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter, in what, it doesn't matter what you're battling with this morning. Some people battle outwardly. Some people are battling in their finances. But there's some people here who are battling in their mind. There's some people here who are battling in a marriage this morning. But can I tell you, he's your ever-present help. And he wants to strengthen you to walk in victory into that aspect of your life. Why? Because he wants to get the glory for it. He wants people to see him in you. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. People want to see how strong he is. People want to need to be able to see how, how good of a God that is we serve. Amen? Somebody say, touch me, Lord. This is the same type of presence that I'm talking about that empowered a stuttering man named Moses to part the Red Sea and to lead the children of Israel. That kind of power. It's the same power that empowered those stinky fishermen to change the world and turn it upside down. It's that same power that anointed David to stand before Goliath, as I said before, and throw that rock and gain victory. It was that same David who was on the backside of a desert who got anointed king and was able to walk in his kingly priesthood before God and walk in victory and, and, and lead Israel for 40 years without any education. I'm talking about power. Power that can use you no matter your background or what you've came from or what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've been through. When the power of God and the presence of God enters your life, He enables you to be and to do everything that you couldn't be and do on your own. Hallelujah. And lastly, This power not only is there to invade your life, to make you something that you're called to be, because God knows that we can't do this on our own. He knows that we can't walk out. I see a lot of people who struggle and try to be a Christian. Did you know you can't be a Christian apart from the presence of the Lord? You, you can't do this on your own. We were never built. You know, the only thing that we were built for is not to not do it on our own, but we were built to simply contain him. We are simply containers of him. We are simply vessels whereby he can pour into so that he can flow in us and through us into every area of our lives. Amen? And so lastly, I want to talk about the returning of the ark. I want to talk about one of the first things that David did before he established his kingdom as king. This ark had been stolen and it had been taken from the Philistines. Or excuse me, it was taken by the Philistines. And David gets anointed king by, by, by Samuel. And David wakes up one morning and the Bible says that, and then he knew he was king. He got this revelation. He's like, I'm, I'm king. The first thing I'm going to do is go get the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, before I do anything else, I'm going to go after God's presence before I do anything else. The king before him, his kingdom had fallen. 
And David knew he couldn't build his house on anything less than the presence of God. And I want to tell you that if you try to build your house on anything less than the presence of God, your house will eventually sink. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but one day it will sink. But we don't want to build lives that are on sinking sand. We want to build our lives on a solid rock, which is the presence of Almighty God. So when the winds come and the storms come, it won't destroy your marriage. It won't destroy your church. It won't destroy your finances. Come on. It won't destroy your mind or your heart. But when your house is built on the presence of the Lord, anything can come and you will not be shaken. The Bible says the righteous will not be moved. Say, I won't be moved. And so the first thing that David does is he says, stop. And he gets all of Israel together. And he says, before I even establish my kingdom, I'm going to go after the ark. And so you know the story. He sends out his soldiers and he retrieves the ark of the covenant and he brings it back to God's house and he restores it in Jerusalem. And as you know, he goes on to reign for 40 years. He's known as the man who was after God's heart. He had less qualifications than the previous ruler. The Bible says that Saul stood head and shoulder over David and any other king. He was handsome. He was godly at first. But then something happened. He began to lose respect for God's presence. And ultimately, the kingdom was stripped from him and given, given to David. But David, David knew not to follow in those same footsteps. So he made sure that he brought the Ark of the Covenant back. And he wanted to build things God's way. And that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. To return the ark in your life. Where is it? Don't answer. But where, what aspect of your life is void of God's presence? What area of your life is needing the ark to be set up? Maybe a marriage. Maybe a job. It might be your finances. Maybe you struggle trusting God in your finances. Maybe it's in your body. I don't know what it is, but here's all I do know. That Israel changed when David returned the ark of God into the house of the Lord. Why? Because God's presence changes things. God's presence strengthens things. God's presence establishes things and it brings peace to things. So that's my prayer for each and every one of you that that you will return the ark of God in your life. Early on when I started this church, it was about a year and a half ago. And I love so, there's so many amazing churches and so many amazing ministries out there that my hat goes off to. So many respectable men and women of God pastoring churches. But I knew early on that I didn't just want to construct a building. My friend Benjamin to my left right here, he's preaching a message a couple months back and he, when he said it, I teared up. He said when he had moved from the Netherlands, when he got here, he seen churches on every corner and he said he got really, really excited and he said, there's revival happening here. There's churches everywhere. And he begins to weep. And he said they, that he found out that they were just buildings. I don't know about you, but I don't want to build just another building. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to just build a ministry. I don't know about you, but I don't want to build a life in my relationship with Jesus that just is a building of going through the motions. We read our Bibles and we go to church on Sunday and we go through the religious rhetoric and motions. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want that for my life and I don't want that for your life either. And so early on, I decided that, Lord, I want to make this a place, a dwelling place for your presence and for your power to be. And not just for us to come in one way and lead the same way that we came. I'm not talking about, that's not presence. I'm talking about praying for a place that when, when you walk in with a match, it just engulfs. That's why we've, and you're welcome to after service, go in the sanctuary. We've got these prayer banners hung up everywhere. We're going to begin to turn this into a house of prayer because if we needed to pray at any time in season in America, it is now. And we need to turn this into not just some standard church, but I'm talking about a house of prayer where the presence of God is dwelling on the ark. Somebody say, bring back the ark. And so, Father, I pray that right now. As we close, Lord, I pray for every individual. I pray that you would bring back the ark in our life. Not just a constructed wooden image, Lord, that's overlaid with gold, but I pray that the ark of our life would represent your presence. Let us build our relationship with you, not on sinking sand, but on, but, but on something that's lasting and something that's eternal. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.